Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny Abdeljabar. What's going on, man? How are you? Chilling, man. How about yourself? I can't complain. I can't complain. Uh, before we get started into you know the, the main topic of today's show, I guess we should make the announcements that you probably already recognized. Uh, we've been doing some changes on the podcast, uh, not really content-wise, but more so just aesthetically branding branding wise so you may have noticed we finally changed the logo or the album art at least at the very least after about a month of us saying that we were going to do it the following episode (laughs) yeah i think we said that we were going to change like the album art was due the next episode for probably about six straight episodes if you go back we were like hey guys (laughs) we're changing we're changing the art we're really indecisive (laughs) we couldn't land on a color no we couldn't we could not land on a color we were arguing for about a week over what color to have in the background Mm -hmm. and uh, i think it turned out pretty good the new the new logo the tank guy is definitely going to be here to stay right we like uh we like the tank guy but you know we're both indecisive we're both pretty What's cool about it is that we, we played around with a lot of different types of backgrounds and colors and fonts and shit like that. So it's totally possible that we just like switch up the colors and the backgrounds every now and again just for fun, right? Uh, but generally speaking, Tank Guy, he's like going to be the centerpiece. We still have the BH logo in there. We still have Bro History, obviously. Um, and I think it really fits the tone of the podcast. And, and uh, I think it looks dope. And hopefully we can start making some merch with that stuff on it, too. Yeah, lots of changes. New new album art, new new logo, new co-host. Just kidding, Danny. <laughs> All right, well, this, this episode is um, a long time coming. We've been talking about this for a fucking long time, and I'm so pumped, so excited to talk about it because it's the most one of the most ridiculous things, you know, that's happening both, you know, contemporarily, but it's got a really interesting and, and rich history. And, and of course, we're going to be talking today about the Toyota Wars and specifically pickup trucks in, you know, uh, warfare. So, like, with the rise of, of ISIS uh, and fall of ISIS, depending on, you know, who you're asking, uh, you know, we, we're seeing, obviously, this contemporary rise in media coverage uh, and public awareness of all of these Toyota pickup trucks being used in these wars and in these battles. Um, but the widespread use of like modified pickup trucks in the Middle East and in Africa has actually quite a, quite a long and interesting history. And I think um, its success has basically reshaped the strategies uh, of warfare in the region. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. Over the past couple of years, uh, with when ISIS became a household name, um, <laughs> everyone saw these pictures of or these videos of these these large lines of white brand new Toyota Hiluxes. Yep. <laughs> and everyone was reporting like, you know, 
mainstream news outlets were reporting like, why do they have so many Toyotas? Whoa. <laughs> why is Toyota selling them arms and, and, and Toyota trucks? They have some explaining to do, right? right? Some, what's Toyota yeah. doing with them, ISIS? Why is yeah. Toyota selling ISIS? <laughs> Well, we'll talk about <laughs> they can use the warfare and that was kind of like a weird take it's a weird take because obviously toyota is not selling isis <laughs> trucks no no there's not there isis isn't going in and saying hey toyota of uh wichita kansas <laughs> uh, we'd like we to need... buy 300 of your trucks <laughs> we'd like to sure <laughs> let me show you uh do you want the deluxe model or what? No, that's it's just no, kind of bare, a funny. Bare bones. <laughs> it, it was just kind of a very funny. It was like a the, the mystery and and how perplexed people were was I almost feel very disingenuous. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that later because we want to first definitely, break definitely. down the the evolution of how people started using or how largely militias started using Toyota pickup trucks or just any pickup truck rather. Uh, rather than conventional tanks and armored vehicles. Because right. I was actually talking to somebody in the military, and we were having this conversation. I was asking him about the Toyota trucks that that uh, a lot of these uh, Salafist militant groups use in Syria and, and Iraq. And he was telling, he said, exact words was, I'd rather have one of those, to- I'd rather have a Toyota Hilux than a, than a Humvee. Yeah, so, and it's, it's, it's true, though. I mean, pickup trucks are super useful. I mean... Right now, if you own a pickup truck, you probably have been hit up by all of your friends to, like, move or, like, grab some, like, ridiculous pleather couch that you found on Craigslist or some shit. Um, but in the Middle East, if you have a pickup truck, chances are you're probably going to get roped into a civil war. <laughs> you know how, yeah, instead of someone asking you to help them move, they're going <laughs> to ask you to help them. Um, hey, Mohammed, you know. can, you, uh, can you help me with this? Uh, <laughs> with this insurgency real quick. <laughs> yeah, can you help me with this insurgency? Uh, we're just going to go over to the nearby village and behead everyone there. <laughs> we're going to need your truck to kill, you know, any kind of police force that's that's stationed. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but in all seriousness, though, I think a good place to start um, to talk about, like, these trucks, because, you know, when you see these pictures of, like, you know, all these trucks in battle, you think, like, damn, those that sucks like a, a tank could totally crush that and in realistically yes they they totally could one one to one combat even probably 10 to one combat tank could totally rip these trucks apart because they're not built for like tank warfare but they're extremely effective and there's a lot of really good reasons why and i think in order to, to bring a lot of context to this conversation i want to go back way way far back to around 1917 uh, to 1920s-ish uh, to the Russian Civil War because I think this is where we start seeing like the the first Toyota pickup trucks. I mean, it, they weren't Toyotas at all, but they were actually called Tachankas. It's another T word. Um, so we have these things called Tachankas. They're light-wheeled carriage pulled by horses with like a heavy machine gun on the back, and they were used during that Russian Civil War. Um Primarily, they were really good for like good wide open spaces and low troop densities. So, basically, what they were doing was uh, they were taking these like civilian horse drawn carts and putting a gun on it. Right? It was it was literally that simple. And actually, the ones that survived were converted back to civilian carts, which is pretty cool. So, up, up to like four of these horses would pull. Uh, this carriage and you know you get that much for horsepower you know uh, you can keep up with the rest of the cavalry uh, which was really really important because speed is is very important right being able to move things around 
super uh, it was like very very popular on the eastern front of world war one um and and probably were in greatest use during that russian civil war just right after um so like i said before the these battles i think they were fought in these really wide open spaces that low troop densities uh which made them kind of like an ideal weapon for these conflicts um and this is kind of before like widespread use of tanks and cars and stuff like that on the battlefield um you know there plenty of people had carts it was easy to make them and you know it was easy to move around heavy weaponry with these things yeah, and that's important to point out. So Russia and the Eastern Front, even if you look at World War One, if you look at the Eastern Front War versus the Western Front War, they're totally different wars. The Western right. Front is is like the World War One that we all know. Uh, trench warfare, stalemates, gas attacks. I mean, there's mm-hmm. gas also on the Eastern Front, but right. just really brutal stalemates, uh, no man's land, uh, just terrible. Eastern Front was a lot more mobile, and that's because... Uh, you know, Russia, I mean, that the war was primarily fought in the eastern part of Germany, but it's Russia's fucking huge. Right. Like, Russia's huge, has a lot of space. Um, I mean, if you look at the accounts in World War II when Germans, when German soldiers were invading um, the eastern front, I mean, they would just walk and cover. They would have to cover miles and miles and miles and miles and miles before and they miles and miles anybody. a day <laughs> before they yeah. ran into a village. So, yeah. of course. Having something comparable to right now, what we, you know, a, a mobile unit um, would be really useful in that type of warfare. Definitely, definitely. And I think that the basically the play was to, like, take advantage of the speed of the, you know, of the horse-drawn carriage and and surprise the enemy. So what they would do is they would, they would mount, uh, like, a gun to the back, and then they would, uh, you know, basically run in with some cavalry. And they'd have just regular cavalry with their guns and, like, one dude on it. Um, and they would set up a really good position really quickly to open fire, and then they would just overwhelm uh, the the enemies without like without them giving them enough time to even really react to it. You know, so being able to move in really fast, hit a lot of people. It also was able to transport some light infantry. So like, you want to put some boots on the ground, throw them in the tachanka. <laughs> we'll get them over there real fast, and now we've got a mobile gun and four guys wherever we need them really really quickly. And the fact that it was rear-mounted, you know, the the gun itself, uh, it made it really great, like, hit-and-run kind of thing, right? So they'd be able to go in, open fire, right? And if they're getting overwhelmed, they can haul ass in the opposite direction and still shoot people that were chasing them, uh, which was obviously made their retreats a lot easier uh, and a lot more effective. Um, And so there was this uh, actually really popular Ukrainian anarchist leader. Uh, His name is, let me look this up, hold on, Nestor Makhno. We always get these names wrong. Makhno. I'm going to say Makhno. Um, and basically, he pioneered, like, the tactics and the use of, of Tachankas, like, what, like en masse uh, and, during that Russian Civil War. And um, they they used them so heavily that they referred to themselves as the Republic on Tachanki, <laughs> which is uh, funny. They were naming it after their tracks. It would be like if, as if ISIS called themselves, you know, Islamic State of Toyota Hilux. <laughs> The Toyota stand? <laughs> Toyota stand. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I talk about this because, like, um, what we learned from this is that speed is everything in a lot of these warfares. I mean, like, we talked about, you know, Sherman tanks versus Panzer tanks, right? And a lot of it was just, like, Sherman tanks were a little bit faster. You know, they can move around quicker. They're more mobile. They can get across bridges easier. They were a lot lighter. And, yeah, if you 
stuck one up against a regular panzer, like that's just going to die. But if you overwhelm them and move quickly and, you know, just blast and run, you, like you're going to be really effective in battle. And I think this is where it really, really started um, uh, coming up. So kind of move, jumping ahead, you know, several decades, you know, the different types of trucks that they were using range, obviously, it wasn't just Toyotas, you know, that a lot of them used Ford Rangers. Uh, there's like a bunch of them on the uh, on the ground. Uh, Mitsubishi L200s were also pretty popular. But of course, Toyota Hilux and also Toyota Land Cruisers were like the primary um the primary trucks that were being used. And honestly, these things are pretty rugged. Uh, I saw this one video uh, online of uh, like an old Toyota Hilux and they were just like wrecking it. Like they hit it with a wrecking ball. They put it on top of like a building and then they did a controlled demolition. And then later on, they just still drive the thing onto stage and everyone's like cheering about how how amazingly like rugged and hard this thing is. Um, and, you know, for better or for worse, you know, yeah, these things can be used in war. Uh, but Toyota was always super shy and like weary about obviously insurgents using their trucks for warfare, you know, in the region. But there's this one knockoff um, like Toyota truck by a Chinese company called Zongxing. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and they were literally used like like not directly selling to insurgents, but they knew that they were being bought by the insurgents and they were using the fact that they were in that their trucks were in war as like a marketing ploy. And they were marketing themselves as like tough enough for war, like on purpose, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, it is a pretty good endorsement. So your truck, even Toyota, I'm sure there's some some people in the marketing department who are like, well, you know, it's not great that ISIS is using our trucks, but it does show that our trucks are pretty damn dur- durable. They can last in the sun. <laughs> and if you want to go, if you want to go on an off-roading trip. I buy mean, yourself a Toyota. Buy, buy yourself, <laughs> buy yourself a Toyota. What kind? Of, what it kind of reminds me of is: Do you watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, of course. So there's an episode where so Frank he starts a soda company called Wolf uh, Cola, mm-hmm. and he thought that he was sponsoring um, Boca Raton, Florida. Like he thought he had some sponsorship there, and it ended up being Boca Haram. <laughs> <laughs> and their commercial came out and he's like yeah what a, i think that's how the story goes maybe i'm getting it a bit wrong but boko haram ended up being their sponsor for wolf cola and it, and they had a commercial <laughs> and like there was a there was a there was a like a cnn clip of, of boko haram coming in and, and like taking over a village and, and and rounding up people and then they like take out <laughs> they start to take, take out a wolf soda <laughs> i mean you know it's it's sometimes it's good marketing you know it, it you need anything you can get to to show off you know how tough and you know hard your trucks are and you know while while i think that some of these trucks might be totally battle hardened you know they totally they didn't come off the assembly line that way you know sometimes you need a little a little something to help you win the war you know what i mean like what <laughs> well guys uh, love is war and sex is a battle so why not arm your little truck downstairs with the performance enhancing 50 caliber machine gun that comes in a chewable pill of course i'm talking about blue chew that's bluechew.com that's blue like the color blue itself uh, Blue Chew is the first chewable armed with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they pack a punch. 
and you can take them anytime, so day and night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill that you swallow. Blue Chew, so, all right, I got a funny story about Blue Chew. Well, about just the whole Cialis and Viagra market. So it's really embarrassing to get Viagra at a pharmacy, and I'm telling you from personal experience. So I once, I got um, I got a prescription of Cialis once, and um, it was embarrassing in itself to talk to my doctor about it, but I got it anyway. I was like 25 years old. And when I went to the pharmacy, um, the pharmacy, the pharmacist was very attractive. And it was just, I was mortified from the entire experience. And <laughs> I was just like, fuck, this sucks so much. And then like the, the girl behind me was super attractive as well. It was just not a fun experience getting it. And my insurance didn't even pay for it. It was a shitty, it was a shitty situation. And then, and I really wish I knew about Blue Chew at that time because I would have signed up right away. And um, it's it's an awesome thing that's really helped my sex life. And uh, I think that you guys should try it too. I think that you should you should definitely do it because if your girlfriend, wife, significant other, anything, <laughs> any any partner, um, I think they'll really enjoy it as well. It's improved my sex life. And uh, probably improve yours. Right. I mean, if, if you can benefit from that extra function, you know, or like a little bit more confidence in bed, you know, then Bluetooth is like the fast and easy way to enhance that performance. So obviously most guys talk a good game, but Bluetooth actually helps you follow through. Um, so Bluetooth is actually prescribed online, which is, you know, to your point, uh, really, really important. You know, you don't have to go to a doctor's visit. Uh, you know, it's shipped to you in a discreet package. Um, there's no waiting in that pharmacy and, and having to <laughs> embarrassingly sign off on, on those, uh, <laughs> on those performance enhancing pills. Um, and you know, that's, that removes all the awkwardness. They're made in the USA. And since Bluetooth prepares and ships directly, they're cheaper than that pharmacy, which is also really important for your wallet. Um, so right now, actually, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Um, visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code BRO. That's B-R-O. And all you need to do is just pay that $5 shipping. Again, that's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code BRO to try it for free. Yes, and Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you, Blue Chew. All <laughs> right, back to uh, back to the great Toyota wars. Mm-hmm. So uh, back to back to desert warfare. <laughs> Nothing like a transition. Um, okay, so uh, 1987. So we, we've skipped ahead quite a bit. You know, we we're talking about you know Russians using Tachankas back in their Russian Civil War uh, in the 17 to 20s. Um, but uh, really, the Toyota War and really where this gets solidified is in Chad uh, in 1987. So the Toyota War or the Great Toyota War is uh, obviously the name of the war that happened during the uh, Chadian Libyan conflict which took place in 1987 in northern Chad and uh, on the Libyan border. Um, they take the name Toyota in the Toyota Wars because they literally used Toyota pickup trucks uh, to provide like that mobile uh, gun platform for the Chadian troops uh, while they were fighting against the Libyans. So here's how it panned out. There's this area on the border of Libya and Chad called the Alzao Strip. It's basically a sandy desert 
bunch of nothing region between Chad and Libya. Uh, and it's the, the size of it is massive. It's bigger than the entire state of Virginia, which is already enormous. I can't stand driving through. It's annoying as hell. Um, sorry, Virginians. <laughs> um, and uh, it only has like a couple thousand people that live there, even like even today. Um, so we got our favorite Libyan leader, Gaddafi. Uh, he decides to, you know, take over. R.I.P. Gaddafi. <laughs> he decides to take over that that Alzao Strip area um, for a lot of reasons. So one of the reasons was because he was like doing this whole Libyan nationalism thing, and you know he thought you know annexing some land would probably help with that. Um, but also uh, there was this unratified treaty. Uh, between France and Italy uh, in 1935 uh, that he used to support that claim to the area. And also there was this like king that came before him, King Idris or Idris uh, I, um, who tried to take it over in 1954, but they got pushed out by the French because the French colonized Chad. Um, and uh, also there was like probably some uranium deposits there, um, and, uh, you know, weapons of mass destruction and all. Um but so there's a lot of reasons, right? But point, though, is that he went to go try to take it over. Uh, so in 71, uh, it was a Libyan-backed coup in Chad. Like, uh, they, they tried to overthrow the government with a coup. Uh, didn't work. Uh, it failed. Um, but even though there was, like, obviously some animosity because, like, one country tried to, t- t- you know, uh, force a coup onto another one. Go figure. Uh, they still had some like diplomatic ties, and they did some, you know, some trade and stuff like that. U- ultimately, Chad did end up trading the Alzao Strip for about forty million pounds, uh, and Gaddafi stopped backing the coup leader, and that was like the compromise that they came to. So in that time uh, that that Libya had that area of Chad, the Azov Strip, uh, they created an airstrip in the region, and they obviously moved a lot of troops in there. Uh, and then a whole lot of shit happened that I'm skipping over, but basically uh, the, one of the Chadian rebel leaders killed uh, the leader of Chad at the time because they thought he was capitulating to Libya too much, and that happened in April 13. April 13th, 1975. And now at this point, Gaddafi's pissed and he's like, oh, well, what the fuck? You know, so he started supporting, you know, some other people again. And at that point, they, you know, it's all out war, right? So they ended up fighting about four separate battles between 1978 to 1983. And that actually brings us to the actual Toyota War, which is just one of those four uh, battles that were fought. And it was pretty insane. The Toyota War was it was the last phase of like a multi right generational conflict between the two countries. That's right. You know, they, like I said, they they had been fighting different skirmishes and battles from from like seventy eight to eighty three, um, and this one was like the big one that basically put the nail in the coffin in that in that conflict for, for all intents and purposes. It's the only one that anyone really talks about. Hence the name Toyota Wars, but it's the one that solidified and ended it. And um, you know who was a big player in that? Who who kind of got humiliated? Haftar. He was, yeah, he was a uh, Khalifa Haftar was a big part of that. He mm-hmm. ended up getting I think he was captured, but in that war he lost some battles and he eventually was he became a POW and then and from there ended up as like a CIA asset mm-hmm. CIA got it into him that's like where all these comparisons come about Haftar being connected with the CIA 
Right. But it's interesting that he was a big part of that war because he's always in the news as far as, I know it's a sidetrack, but Khalifa Haftar right now is, I guess for all intents and purposes, the the most powerful warlord in Libya right now. Right. Um, but that's a whole other animal that we can go into another day. Maybe he learned his lesson. <laughs> um but uh, I mean, this was a this was a crazy ass battle, the, the the Great Toyota War. So to set the stage a little bit, the, the Libyan forces at the time had about eight thousand men, like three hundred tanks, sixty aircraft, including helicopters, uh, and all the bullets and rockets and random shit that you can buy, you know, for for war. Right? Gaddafi was real big on on you know pumping his military because clearly he was compensating for something. Too bad Blue Chew wasn't around for him at the time. Um, second plug. Uh, uh, so, uh, but but the problem there was that Libya kind of had a um, you know a lack of organized command in the area. Um, they had a lot of guns and weapons and stuff, but they they really couldn't organize themselves very well. Um, and also, they had pretty low morale, uh, just generally speaking. Whereas the Chadians, on the other hand, were extreme had extremely high morale. Right? These rebel fighters were like thinking, hey. We're going to kick these Libyans out of our country. You know, uh, they were determined to take that back from Gaddafi, that area. And also, you know, the French were heavily involved. Let's be real. Uh, you know, they, they provided a whole lot of air support um, to the Chadians. Um, and the most important part of the Toyota Wars, they gave them 400 Toyota trucks outfitted with anti-tank missiles. And this was like, the tr- like that was the reason why they won this war. Like, for sure. So the French, the French gave them anti-tow missiles. Yeah, they gave anti-tank them missiles? anti-tank missiles on 400 Toyota trucks, specifically Toyota Hiluxes, uh, which is crazy. Uh, so on January second, uh, uh, the Chadian army um, stormed uh, a bastion located in uh, the village. The village of uh, shit, I can't pronounce this. Fata, Fata, something like that. Um, so this place was like heavily fortified, you know, um, and lots of guns and tanks and shit. Um, but uh, the Chadians knew the terrain better, uh, and they were able to take them by surprise by using those like super fast moving Toyota trucks. Um, you know, some things that they learned, which was pretty interesting, is that you can run over anti tank mines on on a uh, Toyota truck as long as you're going like sixty miles an hour or higher, which is pretty cool. So wait, wait, so you can. You can go over an anti-tank mine with a Toyota truck or with any any motor vehicle well, yeah. as long as you're going a certain speed, then that that the mine won't explode. That's, that's right, and and tanks can't go that fast. And also, is it a, is it, a, is it like a weight thing? Is it is it's, it just it's, it's both weight and speed, right? So like the obviously a Toyota Toyota truck, even when mounted with a giant like 50 caliber gun uh, or anti-tank missile, still weighs a hell of a lot less than a tank. And because they're using like wheels instead of tracks, the surface area that it's covering at any one point in time is smaller, right? And the fact that it's moving super quick, it just passes right over it. Bomb doesn't even have a chance to to think about like blowing up. Now we're talking about anti-tank like uh, uh, mines, not not like IEDs. IEDs are a different story. IEDs can blow up anything, um, and they're also pretty shittily made. So sometimes they just don't blow up at all. Um, but we're specifically talking about anti-tank mines. And this is important because, you know, Libya, uh, at the time in this in this one uh, bastion, they they were armed to the teeth, and they were prepared to take an all-out war against other tanks and, like, a, a, like a, a military force, like a big military force. But they weren't expecting 400 Toyota trucks with anti-tank missiles strapped to the backs of them. So what they did was they... Um, 
they, they it's absolutely insane the amount of people and and things that they killed uh so they killed 800 uh libyan forces they destroyed 92 tanks and 33 armored vehicles they they captured a couple of things as well uh anything that they couldn't you know take with them they just destroyed it uh and they and chad only lost 50 men total it sounds straight up like a mongolian sack yes um run around on horseback shooting people yep that's how they yeah work. just running just running around on horseback shooting one and then a toyota truck i mean how fast can a toyota truck how how fast are these trucks moving like i mean pretty damn uh, over, fast over over 60 miles per hour if they're not exploding anti-tank mines so i mean that's right at, at some point you would think it'd be too fast for someone to get a a shot at a tank with with a, a gun mounted on the back but well, so what they would do is, is you know, they could run and gun. That that's a that's a possibility. But it, it was more about like getting to where you need to be to get to a good vantage point, setting up, and then again, a lot of these trucks had anti tank missiles on them. So what they would do is they would run in really fast before anyone had a chance to like realize that they were there, get to a good spot, load up those missiles, and just f- open fire on on tanks before you know. If you ever seen a tank like the turret move, they move extremely slowly. You know, like like crawling from side to side and by the time they would li- like line up a shot you, like, you can hear the tank it's a classic movie sound yeah, like, like hearing the tank it, you it know within but you have the sound gives you time to prepare but i mean it, it, it the, the thing is that they that they would set up a good vantage point and then open fire by the time the, sh- the tank was ready to line up a shot they'd already been hit several times by anti-tank missiles you know and that's really what what made them successful now this pissed off Gaddafi to no end right so he was like well that's crazy how did 400 like toyota trucks destroy my giant army and you know beat back a bunch of shit and take take over this this bastion so obviously libya decided to retaliate and they bombed a city uh eritan eritan something like that in chad uh as a response but they kind of fucked up there because that fell below the 16th parallel, which was an agreed upon demarcation line in the conflict, which basically means like, do not attack anything below this area, right? That was just like the the agreement. And so the French were like, all right, well, fuck you guys then. So they bombed the shit out of Libya and specifically they bombed the shit out of their radar, their radar systems. So at this point, now they're flying blind, all of Libya, right? Like they, they cannot see what's going on in the conflict. They can't defend against uh uh additional uh french strikes and you know it made it a hell of a lot easier for these toyota trucks to move around on undetected and uh another thing that they did so there was a second battle that came after this uh at the at that libyan airfield that they had constructed when they purchased it from chad um on the azow strip they had five thousand libyan soldiers tanks anti-tank mines like all the same shit heavily fortified and they thought ah they're not going to take this over like we got this but of course chadians proved them wrong uh they they were able to actually drive along the wadis or the the valleys uh and like hide themselves and then pop out by surprise and be like hey we gotcha ha and then just totally blow their shit up and as a bunch of um libyans were retreating um they had encircled the airfield and these trucks were coming up, and a lot of these Libyan soldiers thought that some of these trucks were actually, like, Libyan reinforcements, but they weren't. They were Chadian Toyota trucks, so they got wrecked as well. 
Um, all in all, they absolutely crushed a far superior force, um, mostly because they had the mobility, they had the element of surprise, um, and they had like a like a, a good you know uh, uh, causes day you know like a like a reason to go to war. You know they had high morale. They they thought they were fighting to get their country back. You know. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best—it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line—it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI—it's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's Wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places: Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana, but of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. And they had the right environment. I mean, right. that's why that's how Toyota trucks become valuable on the battlefield. You know, if the whole point of this is that. Desert warfare is a great environment for this type of uh, this unit, this makeshift unit. It's just Libya, northern Africa is humongous. Right. It's just wide open desert. It's even bigger. Like when you look at Africa, like the way that a Mercator map, like what we most most of us look at, mm-hmm. it's even bigger than what you see on a map. It's right. just miles and 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 miles of desert. Right. The Azov Strip is bigger than Virginia. You know? Yeah. You absolutely need something that can move fast. Right. And it's not just it's not just uh you know Libya. It's not the Toyota Wars weren't the only place the only conflict to use them. They were using them in Afghanistan. That's right. Um in the Afghani civil war they were they were highly used to sack Kabul. Um, and then they were used in Somalia as well. That's right. Yeah. So actually, um, the, the, there's a term for the type, you know, for these trucks. It's called a technical, uh, which is also just like a, a, a truck or a four wheel drive vehicle with, a, you know, a heavy machine gun or a rocket launcher, anti tank weapon, something like that on the back end. And basically, uh, the term technical comes from, you know, Somalian conflicts and Somalian warlords. Uh, so what. You know that Somalia has been in, in conflict for a whole long time. Like they they've got their own set of problems, and I'm not going to give all of the backstory there. But basically, no, Somalia is great. <laughs> but shut uh, up. <laughs> well, they got great trucks. Um, so they have great they have great um, seafaring. Yes, they have lots of great it's, pirates. It's a great it's a great place to go whale watching. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, because like international um, uh, uh, restrictions 
um, barring like the use of private security and things like that. Um, basically, warlords would hire local gunmen um, and and uh, they would get these technical assistance grants, which were just basically money to buy anything that wasn't specifically weapons, and they just literally used them to buy trucks that they can mount guns to. Um, and eventually the term became like the truck itself was a technical, right? Coming from the technical assistance grant. But um, there are also some, some like um, other uh, uh, stories about how the term might be coming from like the 80s when the Russians came to Somalia um, and there was this Russian arms manufacturer called Technico uh, and they started mounting weapons on the backs of uh, Somalian vehicles uh, for the Somalian national movement. Um, so Russia came out of nowhere in the 80s to Somalia and was like, hey, we got this great idea. We used to use these things called tachankas. Uh, so we're going to make you guys some tachankas, some like modern day tachankas, uh, which is kind of cool. That's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about those tachankas. That was nice of them. Yeah. <laughs> so they uh, basically the, the whole point of this is that irregular armies. So, you know, warlords in Somalia or, you know, rebels in Chad or, you know, uh, uh, insurgents in, you know, uh, uh, in the Middle East, like ISIS, you know, these irregular um, armies, they they uh, they perceive strength in terms of of like, you know, charisma and like how many weapons you have. Right. So like having a lot of trucks was a, specifically in Somalia is like a symbol of strength. Right. Uh, you know, it's like having a lot of camels. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So like a warlord's power is measured by how many like fucking Toyota trucks with guns on them he has. Um, Is that what you give at a gift at a wedding? If, in a <laughs> at, Somali wedding? At the Somalian quinceanera, you get 15, like, 15 technicals. <laughs> it's, at, you know, the joke is for Arab countries is like, yeah, I traded my sister for 12 camels and a goat. <laughs> is that how they do it in Somalia? I don't know. Four, four, yeah, four, Toyota, four Toyota trucks and, a, That's, and some... Uh, <laughs> and some bullets. And some RPGs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they're. I mean, they all do that, right? Um, well, I mean, the, the point though is that you know, not not well funded armies and things like that use these things because it one it it fits that traditional niche of like a, a, a cavalry, right? So mobile operations. Uh, they're fast. They're mobile. Uh, they're able to strike from unexpected directions. You can flank people. Um, you can obviously use automatic fire with heavy weaponry really quickly. Um, and, and these specific trucks, specifically the Toyota Hilux, like they're very rugged and they are cheap and the parts are widely available. And, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to stand up to a tank in them, but like, uh, it's the Sherman tank debate, right? It's just throw more at them, right? Throw more at the problem. Um, so I guess, uh, what's the, what's the blue, I don't want to interrupt you, uh, but what, what's the blue book value on a Toyota Hilux? Uh, I don't know. They're not actually available in the U.S. market. Uh, I assume that they are close in in price to, like, say, a Tacoma, uh, like a Toyota Tacoma or a Toyota Tundra. They're, they're definitely around the same price. What's the blue? What's the blue book value on? I mean, if you a get one Tundra or a Tacoma, like if you get one br- brand new with like bare bones, which is probably what they're buying, you can get one for like eighteen thousand dollars. You know, which is that's cheap as. F- 
Yeah, hell, it's, it's nothing, right? Especially There's when you're when nothing. you're talking about like like a Humvee, for example, costs like million dollars, something ridiculous, you know. Probably f- how much does a Bradley fighting vehicle cost? Oh well, let's not get into that. <laughs> They're expensive. <laughs> a a right? Bradley fighting vehicle vehicle <laughs> costs. I I have, I have zero clue what the unit is right now, but at one time, it was like what, a hundred a hundred and eighty million dollars a unit, something like that. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, we had a whole was, episode on the, that. The if, program, you, if you guys are interested. We did an episode on it called The Pentagon Wars, but there's a movie on it as well called mm-hmm. The Pentagon Wars. We stole the name. All right, but back to the trucks. The Bradley fighting vehicles were super expensive. They were just kind of like these these monstrosities that were products of the military-industrial complex, of them trying to make things ex- as expensive as possible but not getting a return on the actual value of the of the, right. of they, the actual they, unit. They, like, over-engineered the, the, you know, a solution to the problem, right? The this sol- is the opposite of it. Right, you know, that's, the, like, like under the trucks are the opposite. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, you put, you, you know, you, let's, it's like guerrilla warfare at its finest, being resourceful, grabbing a truck that anyone can drive because let, let's face it i mean i don't know how to fucking operate a tank do you danny no <laughs> do you know how to operate a humvee i mean i'm I sure mean, a humvee would yeah, be you easier but, but, you probably uh, so drive spe- it. speaking of humvees i got a pretty good anecdote so uh y'all probably know uh major danny sherson um he's been on the show twice already uh once you and i we, we went out to drinks with him in new york city after his uh after his debate there and we we got to talking about this because we've been talking about this Toyota work you know conversation for a while, um, and he told me that you know in his time there uh, that sometimes the insurgents would like take over a base or something like that, and they would get their hands on Humvees or other you know uh, military equipment, you know, and they just don't want them. They don't <laughs> they don't really use them for a couple of reasons because they're fucking expensive you can't get parts for them easily the the fuel for them is expensive they have shitty gas mileage and yeah they're armed to the teeth and yeah if you shoot at them with like small arms fire you're going to be safe it could probably take a, uh, a hit with an rpg and be safe um but honestly it's it's not practical for what they want for like the type of fighting style that they had and so danny told me that they would often use them as armored suicide bombs right so they would load it up with as much explosive as possible and just drive it into, you know, um, like, like a base or something like that and just blow it up. Because like, what are you going to do when a, when a Humvee's coming at you? Right? Like uh, if it was a regular Toyota truck, like they can, they can like disable it, but with a Humvee that's heavily armored, they can shoot at it all they want. It's going to, it's going to get where it needs to go. Um, so they were literally just throwing them away. Um, so it makes, it makes perfect sense. It's just using it as a, it's, um, there's no way that they can get the parts unless someone is explicitly selling them the parts, right. which I'm sure, I mean, there would be people, but it would be too, it would be too... It's too difficult. Too difficult to sell Humvee parts to right. a militia. Like, you just, I don't think you would be able to do that long term and not get caught. And, and just, like, there's so many parts as well. Right. So much easier. It's so much and easier it's to just get... expensive and, like, exp- a whole, whole it's, slew of problems. It's, it's a mess. Even if you're doing it in a very in a, in a in a malicious manner, if you're doing it covertly to arm a rebel group in a in a way that would be frowned upon, which we're going to get to, mm-hmm. um, that seems like a, a a big ordeal, and it's just much easier to give them a good old fashioned 
truck because all you need is one unit, mm-hmm. you know, and well, the parts are need easily like replaceable. Hundred of them, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's pretty it's, easy. It's to come way back. easier. To, it's way easier to get a hundred of them than than, than probably a hundred a hundred of the parts that you would get from a Humvee. Right. I, I don't know. I, I I don't really know that much about Humvees, so I can't tell you how many parts it they would need or what the ma- daily maintenance takes. I, I can imagine it's I not. I figure the tires are fucking expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, the, to recap, like mobility and speed was really, really important, obviously, you know, in this type of warfare for these irregular armies. Uh, and actually what we, what we found through these conflicts in the Middle East, in, including, you know, uh, you know, U.S. conflicts there too, is that, you know, the, the gains that you get from like treaded vehicles, so like tanks and stuff that have tracks isn't really that much better uh like off-road like toyota trucks or just any four by four vehicle works just as good in the desert like in the middle of nowhere as a treaded tank and they can drive faster and they can drive farther than tanks and also it's a car so you know if you're riding through the streets of the of of you know idlib or some shit it's way fucking easier to drive a toyota truck than it is to drive a tank or like a Bradley fighting vehicle. They're smaller, they're faster, they're nimbler. Like the roads are literally made for that type of vehicle. So it's got, it can go off road too. Exactly. So it's 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 there. And then they're so modular too, right? Like all you need is a Toyota truck, some steel, a guy that knows how to weld and a gun, and you've got yourself like a dope fighting vehicle, right? Like that's literally all you need. I saw some dope um videos of like, you know, uh some uh, uh, I forget exactly who I was looking at, so I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. But you know, some folks out in 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 the Arab areas, uh, and they they modified a, a Toyota truck and they made a makeshift tank. They basically stripped the outside parts of of the car and put like fucking metal sheets all over it and made like a like a little mini fake tank on the chassis of a of a of a Toyota truck and it drives like a Toyota truck and it's probably a hell of a lot cheaper than a tank. And I don't know how well it works, but it looked like it worked okay. And the turret was operated by like a PS4 controller or some shit, which is pretty funny. Um, and like when they get their hands on, on these military equipment, like, like I said, the Humvees, they just throw them away. Um, but if they get their hands on, like say uh, like a Bradley fighting vehicle or like some Russian made shit, they literally just cut the gun off of the vehicle and put it on a Toyota truck instead, instead of using the vehicle itself, uh, because it's cheaper and it's easier. It's like all we need is the gun anyway. <laughs> like you can keep the rest of it. It's funny because I'm pretty sure those guys who who are operating the S300s <laughs> from from in Syria in the in the Syrian army, I'm sure they're still they're still training. It, it, it took it would. They're using the radar system and just get just not to go like too off tangent to tell you guys who may be new to the show what we're talking about. The S three hundred missile system is a system that came in. It's a really advanced missile system from um, Russia. From Russia that the Syrians purchased last at the end of last year, and it's it's basically the cream of the crop. There's a better model, the S four hundred, but the S three hundred still holds its own, and. It's a really, really good anti SAM system, which anti-air is a surface to air surface surface to air missile system, and it takes uh, it takes months to train on these systems. It takes it takes months. Like yeah, these these rockets 
can go at what speed? Like Mach Mach six or something? Mach seven? Fast as hell. Let's just put it that Not way. faster than that. Like Mach Mach eight point five or something like that. I don't remember I mean, the exact numbers, but trust uh, it's, me, it's it, it's fast like as fast as, as something human made could can can actually go. Like right. it's it's um, it's outflying air. It's it's outpacing airplanes. Like even our fast by a lot, yeah. by a lot, by like by five times as much. Um, but I mean, those types of weapon systems take a really long time to train on. A now we, I mean, the wars that are going on in the Middle East, just take a take a truck, take a gun, put it together. Right, ain't nobody got time to train on us on an advanced weapon system. No one has time to train on shit. Right. No one has time to train on to train on some advanced. They have a, they, have they need a, something that you can click and go boom. You right. know, it's like they, they got a caliphate to build. They ain't got time for that shit, right? I mean, that's why. That's why. Same reason why they got AK forty sevens everywhere where there's big insurgencies because AK forty sevens are cheap as easy, fuck. Are cheap as fuck, easy to use, and they're durable as hell. Like, right. I mean, you could throw an AK forty seven in in the mud and leave it in the mud for days, and then smash it against a brick wall and just throw it down a mountain and then you'll pick it up and it will still fire like you can do whatever to an ak that thing's still that thing is still gonna fire these trucks are extremely durable they they are and what's really important what's underlooked is that they're really good in the sun right i mean it gets hot as hell yeah the dust in the sun it gets hot as hell in the Middle East, it gets hot as hell in Northern Africa. Toyota trucks got about, good ACs, yo. Let me tell you, they got dude. Good I don't know if they're loading system. the antifreeze in there or putting the Freon in there on a daily basis. I'm sure those guys are. <laughs> Sweating I'm sure balls. those. Oh, I got a fucked up story. I got to tell you okay. sideways. Okay. Off track. Off track. So, all right, I'm a dumbass, as everyone knows. <laughs> so, when I was younger, I uh, <clears throat> this is an embarrassing story. So I played. Um, you know, I. I played basketball in high school and one day I decided not to my I had to go somewhere after a basketball game and I instead of going home um with my team like on the bus with with my team bus I my mom picked me up because we were going on I forgot where we were going and my mom left she'll she's gonna she finds out I put this in there she'll kill me my my mom left Freon in the no antifreeze in the passenger seat in a bottle because she was changing it mm-hmm. and i grabbed it and i chugged it oh right out thirsty? of right after a basketball game because <laughs> i was just really thirsty <laughs> what it tastes and, like well i knew instantly it was poison when i drank it and i made myself i'm like mom i just drank antifreeze I never had drank. I I knew what it was. I realized it was blue and it wasn't Gatorade. <laughs> and I went to the hospital. I was, I didn't get sick. I threw up. I made myself throw up outside the car. I went to the hospital. I stayed overnight. And then they were talking. The doctors thought I'd try to kill myself. Uh, <laughs> so I had to go through a, a psychiatric evaluation. They were like, so how long have you been feeling this way? I was like, no, I'm just, I'm I'm just really, uh, yeah, thirsty. I was thirsty. I was, and I was explaining, I was like, I was thirsty. I was coming back from a basketball game. I was coming back from a basketball game. Um, Because you get thirsty. Yeah. So I chugged, I chugged, I chugged the antifreeze by accident. Had to go to the hospital. They had to fill me with anti-poison or whatever it was for a day. 
Um, I didn't get sick at all. I, I guess the the, po the anti-poison worked or I threw it all up. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like six, 15 or 16 years old. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. And then a doctor came in. Everyone was talking to me like I tried to... I tried to uh, like I was someone who was on unhinged. And then finally a German doctor came in who like released me. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was like sympathetic. He's like, I used to play basketball too. And I did the same thing when I was young. Oh God. <laughs> I was like, this is weird. Oh man. That's crazy. Like I know I did the same thing. All right. Sorry. Side tangent. Cool. I had to throw that story in there. <laughs> it was a good one. All right. Um, I think we're we're at a good point for us to talk about like how the fuck is ISIS getting all of these damn trucks, and I, that's that's um that I think is in, important. So before before we jump into like how are they getting these trucks, wanted to put a funny little fact here. Toyota actually has or had uh, a minivan model called the Toyota ISIS. I shit you not, it's spelled exactly the way you think it is, the Toyota Isis. And it was a very well-selling model in the Japanese markets. Uh, and they continued to sell it till like 2016, 2017, when they discontinued it because they were like catching a lot of flack for already having so many like of their trucks in, you know, in Isis hands. And uh, they were like, okay, yeah, maybe that's a bad idea. So they discontinued it. Um, so the Toyota, Poor taste. I yeah, the the Toyota Isis, it's a thing, you know. Well, you know, they were calling them ISIL before they were calling them Isis, that's, so maybe they're true. <laughs> maybe they got confused. Isis is also an Egyptian god, so right, right. right. Isis ruins isn't everything. Isis, cool. Isn't Isis <laughs> the name of the organ of um, what the group is in the show Archer? Yes, you know what they yes, show it Archer. Is. Yes. don't they call themselves Isis? Yes, and but that was before Isis. So that was that was before they. Before Al Qaeda of Iraq, yeah. before Al Qaeda of Iraq rebranded themselves as ISIS, right? Exactly. It's really, it's really, it's funny. But I mean, Obama would call them ISIL, and then he started calling them ISIS. People started calling them ISIS, and like after they started beheading journalists, but they were being called ISIL for a while. So maybe they just took them a while for the news to get over to Japan to change. But yeah, the big question is why? Um, how the hell are all these uh, Salafist militias getting getting these trucks? And um, I want to segue into a funny story. So back in 2003, so a guy from Texas, a Texas 2013. plumber. Two, yeah, 2013, excuse me. Mm -hmm. So a guy, a Texas plumber, he sold his F-250 pickup truck. A Ford, uh, to be clear. It was, a, it was a Ford truck, but same thing, you know, durable it's a, truck. It's a pickup truck. Built Ford Tough. Built Ford Tough, yeah. And he sells, this guy, he sells it to an auto dealer in Houston. And this this truck, it ends up in Aleppo a year later. And the big problem was is that the auto dealership that he sold this truck to, he's a plumber, it was a plumbing truck, didn't remove the defect details from his paint job. The decals. Yeah, so like he had his phone number on the truck <laughs> like the name the, of his the company <laughs> the name of his business on the truck all of the details on his truck and it was in it was literally in a recruiting video or recruiting picture for a salafist 
a Salafist <laughs> militia that had links with both ISIS and Al Qaeda, like a group not not a not a moderate rebel, moderate rebels, a U.S. <laughs> terrorist organization had had the truck. So people were like, "What the fuck?" They started calling him. <laughs> Are you a terrorist, <laughs> Mike? <laughs> you! The, the guy is called the, the Mark One lawsuit. Look it up. They're like, all the details are online. Well, not all the details, but a good chunk of it's online. Um, people started calling this guy, and they were like, hey, you are giving, you sold your truck to ISIS? <laughs> what the hell's the matter with you? Like, you traitor. And this guy's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I just sold it to a Houston, a Houston car dealer. So he sold it in 2013 in October. A month later, it was the, the dealership sold it. And then I think a month later, in just like the late 2013, the truck was exported over to Turkey. And then what's you know what's interesting is that Turkey is really where most of the weapons are smuggled. They're smuggled through Turkey because mm-hmm. Turkey's right above Syria. Right. So it's really interesting. And, and Aleppo is pretty close to the, as the, to the Syrian border as well. So it's very interesting that this guy's truck ended there. It took a long journey. All the way from, from, the, from Houston, From Houston, Texas. It, it ended up in Turkey <laughs> and then in the hands of ISIS You're- in a promotional video. <laughs> And this guy's life, I, for all intents and purposes, I don't want to say ruined. I'm sure he's doing fine now after the lawsuit. But He had some hard times. He <laughs> had some hard times. I think his secretary quit because they were getting so many death threats. How dumb do you have to be, though, to think that guy was actually, like, involved in, in, with ISIS? <laughs> I, like, got, I got a better question. Mark's plumbing <laughs> with supports ISIS? Like, I, that really comes to your mind? Like, oh, I think that probably got there by accident would be my first thing. Like, if we saw somebody, if, if like, uh, Capelli's, you know, electrics... You know, like an electrician from New York, their truck ended up in the battlefield in Aleppo. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame Capelli, you know, the guy who owned oh, that truck. Selling. I would immediately think, like, okay, that somehow got into the hands of ISIS by some crazy government project. Right. <laughs> like, that would be my first thing, right. even before I started getting more into... I mean, you know, these international politics type things. Nope. I got a better question. Nobody's talking about, like, ISIS in this situation. They they left the decals on, too. Like, what were they thinking? Like, yeah, Mark's plumbing. Looks good. Off to battle. <laughs> they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> they were like, yeah, that looks cool. <laughs> maybe, maybe they couldn't read do you think it. They, do you think they were going to take the time to paint over the truck? No, just, like, remove the decal or maybe put, like, an ISIS flag on it. They are like, nah, this is cool. Mark's plumbing. Yeah, they don't have they don't have the they don't have the talent to, to go do a paint I don't job know, man. on some of the shit that they make with those trucks. Like they spend all the time to mount a fucking you know like Browning M like fifty caliber weapon onto the back, like an M two Browning or like some Russian made shit. But they look at the, the the decals, which are literally stickers, and they're like, yeah, that's fine, ship it. And then they take a picture of it and put it in their like training video. Maybe they did that shit on purpose to troll him. They're like, fuck you, Mark. <laughs> Maybe somebody had a great plumbing experience and thought they were doing him a favor. They're like, oh, Mark Plumbing, I really like that. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, I bet that guy's business is probably doing better now. Yeah, maybe. It's like, hey, I'm Mark I'm from Mark's Plumbing. Remember when my my 
truck ended up in Aleppo? Huh, it was a mistake. Uh, funny news, though. But if you need a good plumber, I got you. But if you need a good plumber, I'll plumb the jihad out of you. <laughs> I, I don't know how. Yeah. That didn't really go as well as I expected that joke, but whatever. All right, so like, um, how did, how did like, they get? How did ISIS get Mark's truck? All right, so like these weapons, and it's not just trucks; it's everything. Right. Um, so what happens with these trucks is that um, they circulate into the hands of extremists by one way or another, and it can happen in various ways. So. It can happen through trades. It can happen through tribute. It can happen through surrenders. It can happen through mergers. It can happen through defections. And when I say all this stuff, I mean that the United States started giving the, the, the moderate Syrian rebels, moderate with air quotes, they started they started funding. Um, Groups, rebel groups in Syria with the intention to overthrow Bashar al-Assad. Um, they started doing that as early as 2012. They started doing that before, you know, the 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 uh, alleged chemical attack that happened in um, in the, the alleged Ghouta chemical attack. Or no, they 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 started funding them before uh, the Syrian government even admitted they had Syrian chemical weapons. So they started actually training people in Jordan in 2012. Um, the FSA guys started requesting those types of trucks uh, because obviously they're great for warfare. So the United States was actually buying them Toyota trucks. So what happened is that through Barack Obama's non-lethal aid package, when they started sending these over and then they would go to Turkey and then they would go down into Syria, um, they would get in the hands of who who the U.S. State Department deemed moderate rebels, air quotes, moderate rebels all the time because the U.S. State Department has come out and said that there were no moderate rebels. It's just kind of funny. And basically... It's complicated. They would either... They would surrender. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you know, there's... They get their ass beat, and then they're like, ah, fuck it, like, we lose. Or they would serve as intermediaries, so guys would just wear multiple hats... So I would say, oh, I'm in the FSA, um, but I'm actually in ISIS. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or they would just defect. They would just straight up defect. You know, there was that famous story about those 3,000 FSA fighters who defected immediately to ISIS. Um, back in 2015, they gave away all their weapons, they gave away all their trucks, they gave away everything that they owned. 
And, and there's stories like that all over the news. If you just type in FSA defections, you're going to find a lot of them. FSA surrendering, you're going to find a lot of them. Because the truth be told is that it's pretty hard to come to to come by trained militiamen, and a lot of the people in the a lot of the guys in the FSA they weren't competent fighters, so they were you know any chance of there being like some moderate ragtag liberal kind of secular rebel group in Syria was kind of kind of unrealistic because. The guys who knew how to fight were the people who were veterans of the previous wars, and the people the, pre, the people who are the veterans of the previous wars were part of the Sunni-based insurgencies in Iraq. Those are the guys who start, started forming all these all the militias that start, really became the the leaders of the of the rebellion and the war in Syria. So it's 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 a mix and match of both. These people, these moderate rebels, or excuse me, these Salafist groups, they were getting these weapons through different means, but it really just came through the the countries that were sponsoring them. And when I say the countries that were sponsoring them, that means the United States, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, United, United Arab Emirates, Britain, France, Israel, all the, the Western countries who had a hard-line stance on the Assad must go. Mm-hmm. So those, that's how they got those cars. They got, they gave them to rebels that they said, okay, these guys are moderate. We're going to start funding and arming them. And these trucks in particular, they came in through a non-lethal aid package. A non-lethal aid package included trucks. These trucks are lethal weapons. I mean... A truck is a lethal weapon at the hands of a 17-year-old girl. Of course, it's going to be a lethal weapon in the hands of a 25-year-old hairy Salafist guy on heroin who's ready to rape and kill your wife. So, I mean, that's what happened. Like, it's it, it was impossible to vet the people that they were giving these weapons to, and they ended up in the wrong hands. And by all means, a Toyota truck... Or any truck that you can use, you can mount the gun to, that you can drive 60 miles per hour to, is a fucking what? Is a weapon. And um, it was just really bad vetting from from our governments, from all the governments that participated in the funding of these moderate rebels that really turned out to be Salafist groups that whose main goal was to overthrow the Syrian government. Like, if you want, I mean, I know this is taking a little bit of a tangent, but ISIS and the FSA, they signed a non-aggression pact in 2014. They literally signed a, a, a pact saying that we're not going to fight each other. We're going to, <laughs> for the greater cause of overthrowing Assad. I don't know if you're not if you're not fighting ISIS if you sign a non-aggression pact with ISIS in a war in Syria in 2014 I'm sorry but you're part of the problem like you're you're definitely part of the problem for sure uh, and I think what, what makes it really difficult is that you know like especially for the folks that were uh, you know kind of hiding uh, like the the wolves in sheep's clothing so to speak uh, you know among the quote moderate rebels uh, it's really hard to figure out which ones were like the actual ISIS and, and which ones weren't. Uh, There's so many groups, though, that it's impossible. Like, right. you can't. So w- what I'm saying is that, like, so when when Toyota was catching a lot of flack about having so many goddamn trucks in ISIS hands, they actually submitted to uh, U.S. Treasury Department's inquiries about like their selling practices because it was assumed that they were just selling 
ISIS directly Toyotas, um, and they 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 gave it to them, and uh, the U.S. Treasury Department found that there was no like wrongdoing there, and that their practices were good, and probably a lot better than other than the State Department's uh, in terms of like how they sell their trucks. Um, and uh, like one, the one quote that I saw from this one guy who was like a representative of, of Toyota, um, you know, uh, USA, was like, terrorists don't go into our dealership and say, yeah, hi, I'm ISIS. I would like to buy 400 trucks. They're just like, they just go and buy the trucks. They don't tell you that they're ISIS, you know, they just go in and buy them. Right. Hey, I'm looking for a good truck for a caliphate. <laughs> like they're not doing that, you know, like they're just saying, I need, I need a truck. You know, or I need four you know trucks some for my asshole. business. You, you know, it's like whatever. You know, there's some asshole who's like, "Well, come right here if you're trying to start a caliphate in the middle of the desert. I have your truck for you. Oh, I have the Toyota Hilux." It reminds it's, me. Uh, gets, it reminds me. You, you ever watch the movie Borat? Yeah. You remember the the one scene in Borat where he goes to the used car dealer and he's uh, looking for a car and they're sh- he's showing him the Hummer and he's like, um, I would like very much to buy these Hummers. Uh, how much? And then he's like asking him all these like ridiculous questions like, if I were to drive into a crowd of gypsies, uh, how fast do I have to drive to make sure I kill them <laughs> and the guy's like yeah you, you know i think uh, 30 miles an hour would probably do it it's like <laughs> yeah. uh, you know there's some scumbag he would definitely be like hey they bought 50 trucks they made my quota for two years <laughs> <laughs> hey i mean uh, who, be, dude being in sales is hard man. who they kill in, <laughs> i let the arabs do their own thing being in being in sales is hard man sometimes you just need to hit quota <laughs> but in reality no the isis isn't going to america and they're not buying individual trucks and right they're, some they're not that's not how it's not even like a it's like a fantasy right. <laughs> like to think that isis that Right, and, and uh, honestly, a lot of trucks were purchased, truck. like, from dealerships in the Middle East, right, from individuals. Like, maybe a couple people bought one or two trucks or whatever straight up cash and just said, like, hey, it's for my business or whatever, right? And I'm sure they acquired, like, a number of trucks in that fashion. But, like, when you see these rows of, like, all the same color, all the same model, all the same year, like, brand new Toyota Hiluxes, like, that's coming from... It's these coming from packages. our Gulf allies. Right. It's coming from Saudi that, Arabia. That's coming from the these, these aid packages and shit. You know, like like this. Yeah. This is a it's like a shitty idea that someone had to. Let's give them a bunch of trucks. <laughs> let's just throw some trucks in there and act like that's non-lethal aid. Right. Like you know full well that they're that, you know what they're, they're going to do absolutely with it, right? Like, weapons. Like, right? They're they're gonna well you know what they're going to do with it. There's a long history of mounting guns to trucks, right? Like we just talked about several instances of it. There was the ones in Chad, in Somalia, and if we want to go as far back as as the uh, the Russian Civil War, you know, in the 20s, like that's like. That's what people do with these things, <laughs> you know. Like when the FSA, when the FSA first told the U.S. that they wanted those trucks, they were like, "Yeah, we like, we wanted, we want those trucks." We saw how they, how great they were in Afghanistan. <laughs> like, <laughs> they told them what they well, wanted. Okay, to like, <laughs> okay, like, okay. So you mean you're not just using the trucks to drive your grandmother to to help your buddy hospital? move? <laughs> like, <laughs> to help your buddies move? <laughs> no, 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 no. I meant, I meant, we, we, we want the trucks to help our buddies move and maybe uh, build hospital. <laughs> build <laughs> <Yeah>. hospital. <laughs> it's kind of funny because, like, just there's just like so it's so transparent that that 
all these governments involved in arming these plate are arming these these rebels they absolutely had no idea who they were arming <laughs> yeah. or they knew very well who they were arming but either or is both bad right i mean generals would just come out and say like like yeah uh who was the general? I can't I'm trying to think. Of oh, general General Lloyd Austin. Austin. Um, he said he was. I think he was at a Senate hearing, and they asked him. Um, so how many how many moderate rebels are left? And he said four or five. And they're like four or five thousand. No, he's like no. There's probably around four, four or, or five, five moderate. Four rebels. four or five of them. And this was back in 2015. Uh-huh. He was like he literally said, yeah. There's four or five rebels left. <laughs> like who we tra- who they trained in Jordan because they trained them all in Jordan they trained all the FSA guys in Jordan prior in like 2012 and like it didn't work out because they were just a bunch of punks and it's of course they were like okay well the guys who are like pissed off Salafists are way better fighters and um, it just all kind of ignited into some huge shitty war that killed. I mean, Syrian war right now is the deadliest conflict in the 21st century. Right, was it, it like the only thing that 500k people confirmed. 500k. The only other war that you can really that can, you can compare it to is the Rwanda. Rwanda, Hutu yeah. And the Tutsis, Tutsis, and yeah, the Hutus. Yeah, I mean, that war may, that probably has a bigger bigger death toll, but that was mostly due to like lack of medical supplies and people dying of disease and stuff like that. But like as far as like an armed conflict, I think the Syrian war is probably the biggest war we've ever seen in our in, in our lifetime. Um, and definitely in the 21st century, as far as just military the way the way that military operations go, how many state backers were involved in the war. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible thing. It's uh, on on that light note, I think uh, we should transition out. <laughs> what should we transition to? Uh, where, where do we go now? Do we talk about like Legos or something? <laughs> well, funny that I'm... you mentioned that Legos. I saw when I was doing the the research for this, and this is totally unscripted too. Uh, I saw that they had like a Lego kit. What are you pe- talking about? Everything that we do is unscripted. There's not a single thing. <laughs> well, I mean, we... unplanned. I should say. I definitely didn't write this down. Uh, there was like a Lego kit that people were using. Like it's like little terrorist Lego guy on a on a truck, on like a little on a little Toyota Tacoma with a gun on the back. <laughs> you know, I saw the exact same video because um, I was doing I was doing when I was looking at I was looking for YouTube videos of anything that would give provide good information. Mm-hmm. Just like anything that would give it just a tad bit of information. Everything was really stupid. Right. Every single video that popped up on YouTube was from um, CNN or most mainstream outlets and they all had the same type of line. Where is ISIS getting these trucks? Whoa, huh? Stephen Colbert had a segment on it mm-hmm. on that on the Mark Plumbing dude. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Whoa, you're selling your truck to ISIS!" Ah ha 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 ha! Like, it, it, like they didn't. None of them had a good story or explained or brought any substance into what was going on. They just asked Toyota, "Why Toyota has some explaining to do? How all these Salafist militias have their trucks? It's it's crazy." That was every single story that came out of the mainstream news. Yeah. And it doesn't take – you know what you could easily do? Like, if you really wanted to investigate this, take one of those trucks, because I'm sure there's many that you could take, and track the parks and <laughs> track the parts and see where they came – what I mean, factory they were made VIN out of. Mo- the VIN every number. single yeah. one of those cars, right? every single piece in those cars, they're tr- – they're, 
you can track them back to the factory that they were they were made. That's you right. can track where they where they were from. So it's not a hard thing to discover. Right. It's not hard to find. You just, get, just give me the Carfax. Just give me the Carfax. Just give me the you Carfax. Can easily find out <laughs> probably each and every one of those cars where they were manufactured in every single dealership they've ever been in mm-hmm. and who they were bought by. It wouldn't be a tough case. Like if I was an investigative journalist, which I'm not, <laughs> isn't that an easy story to really take? All you, like just call some people. Like you can probably get sources of people in Syria or people. Just wherever. give me the VIN number. Just get the VIN just, number. Hey, were you involved in an armed conflict? I'm trying to look. I'm trying to get the actual pieces of the of the, of this truck. I want to see what factor they were made. Send me the truck. Whatever. Go there yourself. I don't know. I'm sure there's a way to get a validated. Uh, VIN number or uh, tracking number or factory number on a part of one of these trucks and just trace the trucks back to where the factory was made and, and check if like is it, is it that hard to do that like no like has anyone am I missing something right now has anyone done this piece has any has it has an investigative journalist had they made done that investigation of where these trucks come from I'd love to know and how I'd love to know. <laughs> what, what factories they were they were built and I mean, even if you, I mean, there's thousands of trucks on the battlefield, you can do an investigation on maybe a hundred of them, right? And find exactly where they were made. Uh, it's just, it's funny. I mean, if you're the president of the United States, you could easily just make a couple of phone calls and pretty much get to the bottom of hey, it. Hey, 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 I need, I need you to get me the VIN number on that thing. Tell me where that truck was made. Yeah, it's kind of weird, uh, ISIS. Uh, they're not getting American. Yeah, you know, another reason to bomb them, huh? Man, they want to get Japanese cars, not American cars, <laughs> not American cars. Um, that would be that would be funny. Um, on a lighter note, it's just to show my discipline throughout this entire podcast. I spilled a soda Ooh. on my lap. Nice. About forty a, minutes ago, a wolf soda. A wolf cola? Not a wolf so not a wolf's cola. I I spilt a cola on my lap about like minute twenty of this podcast. And you've just been sitting in it? And I've just been sitting in my cola still. <laughs> and my hands are really sticky. And um it feels like I peed my pants a bit. Haven't complained once about it. Cool. I usually get up like three times just to go pee in this show. Haven't peed once, good. so I feel like that was a pretty good accomplishment on my side, right? Progress. As far as yeah. <laughs> this not sitting through my cola musk, and now my balls feel really sticky. Uh, my chair feels like it's gonna need some deep cleaning, and some random paper that I don't know if it's important or not is now covered in cola moisture. And I'm going to probably have to throw it away. So I'm hoping it's not a password to something that I use on a regular basis. You're, you keep your passwords on fucking paper? What are you, a boomer? On napkins. On a, I a do boomer? all my research on napkins. <laughs> all of my notes, all of my files, and all of my enemies are all on Wendy's napkins that I have in different... I got the documents right here, Henry. <laughs> I got the documents right here that prove... That prove that George Soros was born on planet Titan on year 47857. He used a time shifter by combining time crystals. I'm not in the mood doing Alex Jones things right now. My voice isn't in the mood. Um, 
All right, well, All right. Let's, let's just wrap it up there. Let's just wrap it up unless there's anything more, anything else to talk about. I don't know. That's about it, I think, on this topic. I would, yeah, on this topic, there was some other stuff in the news that I wanted to talk about, but it's all kind of depressing stuff. So, well, let's skip that for another episode. And, uh, I, yeah, thanks everyone for joining us today. We look forward to bringing you more content in the future. And, uh, any words, Danny, don't, before don't I Don't forget to uh, like and subscribe and, uh, oh, share yeah, with your rate friends, and review the podcast. Review. That's good. Thanks. Thanks for a reminder. Yeah. If you guys enjoy the show, if you're new, uh, and you're listening on Apple, make sure you you rate and review the podcast. I can't tell you how much it really helps the show grow. The more people that rate and review it, it, it just makes it better. Like, it just it helps us a lot. It also just it gives us feedback. It's like, it's like yeah, it gives us feedback, first of all. And second of all, it's just great to get a positive response when people like it. So rate and review the podcast. It really does help us out a lot. And uh, that's all I really have to say about that. All right. Peace out. feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.